You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. It's always great to be able to have the opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, not only information about Crossroads, but more importantly, to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, For those of you who don't know much about Crossroads, well, Crossroads was established in 1983 uh, as a ministry out of Park Meadows Baptist Church. And uh, after about two or three years of counseling ministry out of uh, Park Meadows, it uh, incorporated into a nonprofit charitable organization in, in 1986. And so we've been around a very long time. And over the years, there's been significant change to the organization as well as most of you. You know, if you were to think back to 1986 versus 2018, uh, and maybe perhaps some of you weren't even around in 1986, uh, but the world has changed greatly. And because the world has changed greatly, so it also has had an impact on, on the church. And so many of the issues that are being faced by individuals in our, in our community are not exclusive just to the non-Christian community. Uh, many of the issues that are being are, people are struggling with are also being experienced within the, within the Christian community. And and I know that sometimes that's hard to hear, but for those of us who work the front lines, there are many times when we often don't see much difference between those who are Christians and those who are not. Uh, especially when you look at statistically, statistically, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce regardless of whether you're Christian or not. Uh, when you look at statistically... Um, when it comes to the issue of abuse, one out, of, one out of every six boys are abused and one out of every four are abused, regardless of whether they're in the church or outside of the church. And so I know it's, again, I'm not here to depress you or to discourage you, but to, to just help you to realize that as a ministry, those are the kinds of things that we are confronted with on a daily basis. And, uh, and for most of you, you may be aware of the, the, the latest opioid crisis as it has been identified in our community. It, too, once again, is not something that is exclusively for people who are outside of the Christian community because the opioid crisis is impacting everyone. It's impacting the parents and the siblings of those who are addicted. And in some cases, it's affecting the children of those who are addicted, regardless of whether they're Christian or not. So as, as an organization, we are committed to endeavoring to provide professional counseling services within the context of a Christian environment and also from a Christian worldview. And, uh, and that can be a bit challenging. You know, one of the things that I, you know, people will say, well, you know, there are some limitations to what we can do because we walk a fine line. One of the things is that I try and make very clear to the Christian churches is that the days of 
when Crossroads started out, the majority of the counselors were required to have biblical degrees. And, uh, and in fact, that was a tendency to lean more towards having a biblical degree, uh, a bachelor's or a master's degree in divinity or religious education or so on and so forth, and were allowed to practice counseling. But however, over 30 years, things have changed. And what has changed is, of course, we, we live in a secular society that has, uh, you know, legislations and expectations of, of certain practices and, and fields of vocation. And so counseling is just another one of those that has fallen under those, that legislation. So now, in order to provide counseling, professional counseling, and, and, and there is a distinction between pastoral counseling, that which is done by people like Pastor Greg and, and Pastor Blair, is that professional counseling now falls under legislation that requires us to have degrees that are recognized from a or from a recognized institution of higher learning such as the University of Lethbridge or the University of Alberta or whatever. And so I have a master's degree in counseling from Providence Theological Seminary and unfortunately it doesn't get recognized by much. Insurance companies do not recognize my degree uh and uh, and so therefore that places a bit of limitation but i bring this up because it also I want you to understand that all of our counselors have degrees all of our counselors are christians but unfortunately in order to practice they have codes of ethics and those codes of ethics are established by secular associations which they have to be a part of the same as nurses and doctors and so on and so forth and so we are limited as to what we can actually share when it comes to our faith in fact we are not allowed to share our personal religious perspectives so in other words if you come to crossroads and you're looking to get some counseling i will never tell you my personal perspective of biblical truth because I'm not allowed to because if I ever do it and somebody whether it be a Christian or non-Christian alike chooses they can then report me to my professional association and have me my certification removed and therefore I am no longer allowed to provide professional counseling services and so uh, so we run into to churches who, who, or persons who say, you know, you guys don't, you know, you don't read from Scripture and you don't do this and you don't do that. You know, you're not Christian anymore. And the truth of the matter is, is we are still very Christian. We just are having to work within the confines of a secular society. And so there are ways around it. And, and I'll be honest, is that I've, you know, I've, I've learned uh, prior to counseling, I spent 20 years as a pastor. And so I've learned that, you know, you can talk about God's truth without talking about God's truth. So, for example, I'll use a quick analogy of what I'm talking about. 
I had a, a, a woman come to see me one time, and she was really frustrated. She, she was not a Christian person uh, by, by any standard of whatever that might mean. However, she did have uh, a sense of common sense. And so she came and she said, I, I need you to talk to my husband because he, uh, he's addicted to pornography and uh, he thinks it's okay. And in fact, he's been to registered psychologists, a number of registered psychologists in the city of Lethbridge. And in fact, those registered psychologists have told him that it's normal and it's okay. Meanwhile, it was destroying their marriage. And so he said, she said, I really need for you to, to meet with us and help my husband to understand that this is destroying our marriage. And so he came in, or both of them came in to see me, and what was very evident was that he was not going to listen to anything that was going to be in opposition to what he believed that he could get away with in his particular marriage but there was a point in the hour in which i was spending with them that i sensed that god wanted me to share something with him so and wanted me to share a specific verse out of the bible but i knew that it's difficult for me to start quoting scripture because of the limitations that are on and so I looked at him and I said, you know, I remember reading from a very famous, uh, very famous individual, these words. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And all of a sudden his eyes widened and he, it was almost like he got caught his you know, short of breath, and he looked at me and he said, you know, maybe you're right. And so we began to be able to have a discussion around the, the importance of recognizing that he could do whatever he want, but wants, but the truth of the matter is that how is it really benefiting himself as a whole person and how is it really benefiting his relationship. So in that moment, I was able to share the gospel with a non-believer, even though he didn't know he had the gospel shared with him. And today we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit. And I firmly believe that whatever truth, biblical truth is expressed, the Holy Spirit is present and he can do whatever he chooses with that. And so I just share that with you. Now, just a couple other things about Crossroads that I want to make you aware of. As I mentioned, the opioid crisis uh, is hitting our community and where we're experiencing that, as I said a little bit earlier, is that um, we don't, as, as an organization, we receive funding from all many different sources from various churches and individuals and corporations and businesses, but we also receive a significant amount of money from the city of Lethbridge through the province of, El- of Alberta. And, and that in of itself is amazing because the government doesn't support, not, doesn't support faith-based religious organizations. 
but yet we receive approximately $75,000 a year to provide services to the community and have done so since 1990. And so, but what comes with that money also comes certain limitations and mandates. And one of the things is that we are not allowed to provide counseling services directly for persons who have addictions because the government says, well, that's why we have Alberta Mental Health and that's why we have uh, other agencies that deal directly with addictions. But you can provide counseling services to the families of those individuals or to address issues other than the addiction, which is a great thing because... uh, We're not in the business of dealing with the symptoms. God didn't call us to say we're going to put band-aids on the symptoms. What we're going to do is we're going to get to the heart of the issues, and so we're able to provide counseling to help people to get at the root causes of their addiction, not to try and figure out how to put a strategy together to stop using drugs. Okay? And so I bring this up is because the demand now on us as an organization is growing immensely. And so is the fact that I I don't know how many of you knew that Alberta has the highest rate of divorce in our entire country. It has the highest rate of divorce. And in fact, there's something like they're saying that 35,000 children are experiencing divorce. Right? Now, they're not getting divorced, obviously. But their parents are. And we don't know what statistically it is for Lethbridge itself. But just imagine... We have the highest rate of divorce. We also have the highest rate of gambling in Alberta. We have the highest rate of uh, not only gambling, but obesity. We also have the highest, uh, we also have the second lowest income rate in the province, which means we're very poor in Lethbridge. And we also have the highest child poverty in the province. And so these things are affecting the counseling. And so we are seeing an increase in the number of people that are needing and trying to access services. The majority of of other services, such as Lethbridge Family Services, for example, they have an eight-week waiting period to get in for counseling. Two months to get in because the demand is growing and growing and we ourselves are now experiencing for the first time in a long time at least two to three weeks of waiting. And so I share this with you because not only are we in need of of prayer support, but we are in need of financial support because requires us to provide subsidies, which is what our organization does, is we provide subsidized counseling for families that can't afford it. Last year, we we provided over $105,000 worth of subsidized counseling. 
And so as a church, if it's if you're looking for a ministry, a local ministry to support, Crossroads is a great place to begin to see um, God's love and compassion, but also the truth be shared with people to help get beyond their their struggles. So enough about that. I uh, If you want to talk to me about Crossroads, you can do that after the service. I didn't really plan too much on talking about Crossroads because uh, I'd rather talk about the Lord. And, uh, and I know Crossroads is a part of what the Lord is doing uh, here in, in Lethbridge. But, uh, you know, when Pastor Greg asked if I would come and share about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, particularly on the fruit of the Spirit, I was very excited. Uh, and, uh, I, and so far, uh, I guess I get the tail end of that particular uh, aspect of the fruit. So what I want to do this morning is begin with a video. Now, this video does a couple of things. It shows you, first and foremost, my twisted sense of humor. It also, uh, hopefully, shows you the opposite of what you would experience at Crossroads. And thirdly, it would get you in a frame of mind to think about this aspect in which we're going to address today. And so, if you wouldn't mind running it. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C- come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. very delighted about Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just... Just have a seat. And, uh, and let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes, and, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing. So you would either have to pay in, in cash or by check. Wow. Okay. And I, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. I just I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has has, has anyone ever ever tried to to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house. Anything boxy. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, so I uh, write them down. Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can 
I can't remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. It is. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it. <laughs> I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, 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 no. We did. We don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say. We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. What? What? What else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it. You you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, then stop it. Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh -huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook. Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Kat? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Here are the ten words. <coughs> Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. Isn't that us sometimes? I mean, think about it. Do you ever sometimes feel so overwhelmed that you feel like you're being buried alive in a box? Do you ever find yourself feeling so overwhelmed by life and 
and relationships and perhaps you've got bad habits, you know, you've got destructive habits that you keep doing over and over again. And, and so you ask yourself that question, you know, how do I get out of this cycle? What do I need to do in order to stop? And, and the first response you give yourself is, well, just stop it. Just stop. And the problem with that is, is it doesn't seem to work, does it? Even as we saw in the video, she couldn't handle the fact that he said, just stop it. Because she knew that that's not a solution. The solution does not lie in this issue of just stopping. But where does the solution lie? Well, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Starting at the 22nd verse, the solution is found in in the 22nd verse of chapter 5 of Galatians. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and last but not least, self-control. But it goes on to say that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So really, the solution is this. The solution does not lie in trying harder to stop doing something. How many of you have a bad habit? We all do. Right? Whether you're willing to admit it or not. But we all have habits that can be annoying to other people and most importantly, are even annoying to ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, is the harder you try to not do that behavior, the harder it becomes to not do that behavior. And so the solution is not trying harder because we recognize that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, right, The key words in that passage of Scripture is that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are not separate entities. It's one entity. It's fruit. And it's a gift that comes from where? The Holy Spirit. Right? So it doesn't matter how hard you try to have self-control, you will not have self-control. Unless the Holy Spirit gives you the fruit of the Spirit. And so the solution lies in taking the focus off of ourselves. It's taking the focus off our own hearts and our own desires and taking our focus off 
of ourselves, our own thoughts, and even our own spirits off of ourselves, and putting the focus on to Christ. That's where it begins. And so my challenge for you today is to ask yourself this question. Do you have what it takes to grow? And is self-control an element of your growth? Is it an element of your growth? Because you see the solution lies in this. Next slide. Is that you don't need to make a decision to stop doing something. You need to make a decision to turn your will and your lives over to the care and the control of whom? The control of Jesus Christ. This ought to give you a sense of relief, of knowing, of saying, you know what? I don't have to try and stop doing these bad things or these destructive behaviors that I keep doing over and over again. I don't have to try and stop doing these things any longer. All I need to do is to turn my will and my life over to the control and care of Jesus Christ. That's it. Sounds fairly simple, doesn't it? But you see... Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, He said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, these are Jesus' words to a people who need help, whose lives have become unmanageable. And their control did not provide the results that they were looking for. So Jesus is giving you and I an invitation this morning. He's saying, come to me with your uncontrollableness of life. Come to me with the problems and the habits you can't seem to change. The habits you can't just seem to stop doing over and over again. By saying, Lord, you are offering me something that I've been looking for my whole life. Lord, I need you. You see, many of you who are here this morning have have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know you're on your way to heaven. But there came a point where you became deaf towards God. And you turned him off. And he's taking control of your life. And so now you found yourselves in trouble because you listened to your own voice rather than listening to the voice of God. And God is saying to you this morning, we need to give control back to him. But I believe that there are some things that get in the way of preventing us from giving that control over to God. And the first thing is, is the issue of denial. Denial. 
It's the I don't have any problems statement. Because you see, this process of giving back the control begins with taking a look at our lives and saying, what's going on? What really are, are some things that i got to deal with? In fact, Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Read that again. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse? As I say that facetiously. Because the reality is it's saying take a good look inside at what's going on in your life. And not only take a good look at what's going on in your life, but let us test and see if what's going on in our life is what God says is right. And then let God be the one to help us turn back to Him and say, God, you take over now. But however, unfortunately, we have a problem taking this first step of giving up control because of this issue of denial. Because you see, it's okay for us to look in our neighbor's backyard and find out all the things that are growing, all the weeds that are growing in their yard, especially if they got dandelions that keep blowing into our backyard. But when it comes to actually taking a look at what's going on in our yard, that's not quite so easy. And we're afraid to acknowledge the reality because it just might overwhelm us. It's bad enough that that the, the things that are going wrong in our life, that there are things going wrong in our life, but if we were to actually take a look at it, we would soon discover that there are things that we are doing that are actually contributing to the things that are going on in our lives. And we are afraid to acknowledge the reality because it just, Excuse me, because it just might overwhelm us. And so denial pushes down the pain. See, denial is looking at reality and describing it as something that it isn't. It's like I I saw a t-shirt one time in a store that had a picture of uh, a cow laying on its back with its legs sticking straight up. And underneath the caption, now underneath was the caption, no, really, I'm fine. But it was a dead cow. No, I'm fine. Right? And so it's describing things as though they're as though that this is the way it really is, but in fact it's really not. And so denial pushes down the pain and in excuses our bad habits, our bad relationships, our bad decisions. It allows us to keep It is what allows us to keep at a distance from what's really going on in our lives. And when the pain of being where you are gets worse than change, then we decide to turn our lives over to God. You know, one of the things that I learned in, in pastoral ministry and even now in the counseling ministry is that people would rather die than change. And sometimes it almost takes that. When the pain becomes so great, then we finally decide that it's now time to change and to turn everything back over to God. 
And you see, God allows, uh, allows pain to come into our lives because He doesn't want us to stay stuck. He wants to begin working and identifying those issues causing us problems. And in fact, the Bible talks about denial. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8-9, through 9, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. But when we begin to take responsibility for what we are doing and what we begin to feel, and we begin to feel the guilt of what we're doing, there is very little that anybody can do to help us. And so denial is a huge factor in why we don't surrender to the will of Christ and we don't experience the gift of the fruit of Spirit. Secondly is pride. Pride is the I don't want to admit that I need help. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before his downfall a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. And you know what's really interesting is I found that it doesn't matter where we go, even within the Christian church. I don't know how many times I've heard people who are born-again believers say, I don't need your help, thank you. I can do this on my own. Right? I'll give you an example. My, my wife isn't here and she probably hit me if, I, if she found out I was sharing this, but about three weeks ago, we were at Wally's Beach, and my wife uh, accidentally, there was a root sticking out of a pathway, and she had an armful of, of stuff as we were coming from the beach, and her flip-flop got caught on uh, a root, and she fell. And unfortunately, because this arm was full of things, she couldn't catch herself, so she stuck this arm out, and she dislocated her elbow to the point where the knuckle was hanging and uh, and so for the last three weeks, well, up until last Friday, she was in a partial cast and immobilized. And my wife is a God-fearing woman. But the hardest thing she had to get over was she needed my help. She's one of these people who, no, I can do it. And then all of a sudden, she can't dress herself. She can't. She can't do all kinds of things that she normally would do, and now she's having to humble herself to accept my help. And so pride is so easily slips in, and if we realize that pride is what is what you know is the devil's tool, because is that not who the devil is? is that he's proud. He's just like God. And he tries to convince us all of that. And so pride, right? Pride is what gets us into trouble because we want to think that we can do it all. That we can just stop it. That we can control everything. Time and time again, I see people in, in, in my office who think that they can control everything. 
People who struggle with anxiety say, I, I want to I just stop being anxious. And I'm working so hard at trying to stop my anxiety until they finally get to the point where they just say, you know what, I can't do it anymore. I need help. I need help. And so the Bible says that this is typical of our human nature. It is our sinful nature, pride. And so pride is usually what kicks God out of the CEO office of our lives. Pride is what fires up our justifying machines and starts our blaming machines so that we don't have to take responsibility and we can continue to excuse ourselves while we blame other people. Pride is what says to the person who overspends, oh, you deserve all the good things in life, that you've worked hard for those things. Besides, you only have two credit cards filled to the max. There's lots of people out there that have more debt than you. And hey, if you, if you wanted, you could stop spending if you wanted to. See, pride is what says to the self-righteous person, you don't have to pray and read your Bible. You know enough to handle things without those. See, there is a time when you must realize that we must get rid of our pride. And if our lives are beyond the pride, if our lives are to be beyond the pride stage, that's when we've got to say, God, I've got to give up this pride. Help me. I'm lost. And I, I'm on the wrong road and I can't do this by myself. I need your help. But not only is denial and pride, but then we run into the, for some, we run into the issue of guilt. And it's the, I'm ashamed to ask God for help. It's not that you don't want to, it's just that you're ashamed to ask Him. Psalm 40, verse 12 says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. How many of you have ever found yourself, and you don't have to raise your hand on this, but hypothetically, how many of you ever found yourself on bended knee before God asking Him, To help you deal with the same sin, the same trouble, the same concern over and over and over again. And after a while, have you ever found yourself beginning to wonder, how can I even come to God? Because I keep doing this stuff over and over again. I'm so ashamed. I'm 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 so embarrassed that we come that it reaches that point where we now come to God and we make promises. God, I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. And then we fail and we fall flat on our face. And the next time we come and we say, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. And then we fall flat on our face again after we've done it again. And we make promises to God, but we never seem to be able to follow through. And so guilt begins to set in. Why? Because Satan loves to give us a distorted view of who God is. 
He likes to take that thought. God will not accept us and build that up in our lives to the point that we become convinced that he won't take us back. But that's not what the Bible says. You see, there's no sin that God will not forgive. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows how many times we have failed and how many times it will take for us to learn before we to learn a lesson from those failures. And sometimes God just sits back and watches us fall, get up, fall, get up, fall, get up. Until our knees and our faces are so scuffed up that we finally reach a point where we learn our lesson. And it's at that point that we come to God and we genuinely see change begin to take place. And so guilt prevents us from turning our will and our lives over to the care and to the control of Christ. But thirdly, we also experience fear. And fear is the I'm afraid of what I have to give up. Because of this, we hang on and on and on. And even though what we are hanging on to is destroying us, it's like a guy who is running along uh, a pathway and all of a sudden the path ended and he fell off a cliff, a thousand foot cliff. And as he's going down the cliff, he's banging on the way down and, and about halfway there's a branch sticking out and he manages to grab onto that branch uh, sticking out of the side of this cliff with one arm and he's hanging on for dear life and he cries out and he says would somebody please help me somebody save me and all of a sudden he hears a voice from heaven and this voice says this is God and all I ask is that you just trust me and let go and the guy says anybody else up there You see, sometimes we're afraid to trust God because if we let go, what's going to hold us up? You see, we can hang on to things that are comfortable even though they are destroying us. And we tell ourselves, this isn't so bad. I can live in this discomfort. In, in, in fact, I'll start a business in this place. It's so comfortable. But the truth of the matter is we convince ourselves that we don't want to get up. And often our last resort is coming to God. But you see, before you were a Christian, you were afraid of what God might make you do. Perhaps he might make you a nun or send you to Africa. Right? And so we have this concept that God comes into our life to destroy it. But how untrue is that? For he comes to build it up and to make us into his image. But then we say to ourselves, but oh, but I don't want to be controlled. You got to stop kidding yourself if you find yourself saying those statements. Because the truth of the matter is, folks, is that we are all controlled. Every single one of you in this room, myself included, is controlled. The question is, are you controlled by the opinions of other people? Are you controlled by the hurt that someone has inflicted upon you? 
and you just can't forget? Or are you controlled by the habits that you can't stop? Are you controlled by parents and the values that they've instilled in you? See, the issue is not whether you will be controlled, but rather the true freedom is choosing who will control you. And freedom for us as Christians is that we are making the choice to allow Jesus Christ to be the one who controls and sets the course for our life. That's what true freedom is. Mark 8, verse 36 and 37 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing. Because when we begin to give up everything, we then begin to realize that we've never had it so good. The key is not being afraid of what you're having to give up, but focusing on the fact that you are giving yourself over to God. Fourthly, it's the issue of worry that prevents us from experiencing the full fruit of the Spirit. And worry is the I confuse the decision phase with the problem solving phase. In 1963, John F. Kennedy, as President of the United States, made a statement that shocked the world. He, he said these words. He says, we are going to the moon. He made a decision. It was NASA's job to figure out how to get there. And see, sometimes we can worry about the problems associated with the decision to turn our lives over to Christ that we never make a decision. See, you must never confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase because if you do, you will never make a decision. And so first, you must decide what is it that you want to do. This is key. I always tell my clients who come in, And they always will say, I want to stop smoking or I want to stop this particular behavior. And I say to them, wrong, we're not even going to start there. Because I'll give you an example. I said, uh, I had a friend who came to me one time and he said, you know, Mike, I, 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 I want to quit smoking. And I've tried and I've tried. And I said, so, okay, so what have you tried? And he said, well, one, the last thing I did is I just went cold turkey. And I decided that I was going to just tell myself every day, you don't want a cigarette. You don't want a cigarette. So all day long, every time he had a craving, he said, I don't want a cigarette. I don't want a cigarette. And I said, and so what happened by the end of the day? He said, I had six cigarettes. I said, why do you think that is? He goes, I don't know. Poor Will. I said, no. I said, you know what your focus was on? Not smoking. I said, have you ever thought about what do you want? What do you want? He says, well, I want to live healthier so I can be around for my children and my grandchildren. I said, then that's a better goal. 
So, folks, when it comes to this issue of don't say, I don't want to do this, but say to yourself, I want, my decision is that I want to become an imitator of Jesus Christ and I want to turn my life and my will over to him and turn it over to his care and to his control. That's what I want. Not what I don't want, but what I want. Because if you keep focusing on what you don't want, you'll never get there. If you keep saying, I don't want to live like a sinner, guess what you're going to live like? A sinner. But if you say, my goal is I want to live like a saint, and I'm going to turn my will and my, and my life over to Christ, then that's what you will become. Now, it may not happen instantaneously, because even the Apostle Paul says that we are working out our salvation. Right? So if But if you wait for all the problems to be solved before you actually turn your life over to Christ. Right? I remember years ago there was a Christian comedian and there was all kinds of controversy about this fellow, but it was a a fellow by the name of Mike Warnke who was a Christian comedian back in the late back in the seventies and nineteen eighties in which you know, I went to one of his, um, um, I don't want to say concerts, but one of his uh, rallies that, that was going on in the area, and I gave my life to the Lord. But one of the things that I remember most of what he said to me, he said, he says, you don't have to get washed up before you take a bath. Think about that. You don't have to get washed up before you take a bath. And many of us as Christians figure we got to get it all scrubbed up before we walk into the presence of Christ and allow Him to transform us. We want to do all the transforming ahead of time without allowing Him to wash us clean, to make us new. And so... It's been 40 years. It's hard for me to believe that at times, but it's been 40 years since I made a decision for Christ to have control of my life. And all these years later, God is still working out that process. And so we can make a decision to get our lives to work better, but we need to involve God in the process. And so cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you, Peter says. And the last issue is this, doubt. My faith seems so small. Do you ever wish you had more faith? Do you ever have those moments when you say, man, I wish I had more faith? I wish I had faith like the person who sits next to me. Or our pastors are so faithful. I wish I had their faith. You know what the Bible says? Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says, He replied, Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. One of the biggest things that we do as Christians is we confuse ourselves when it comes to the issue of faith. And it is this. It's not that you don't have enough faith. 
It's that you don't have enough faith in your own faith. Because Jesus says you just need faith the size of a mustard seed and you're sitting there going, well, I don't have faith in my faith. I don't think my faith is strong enough. Who cares what you think about your faith? Who cares whether you think you have a lot or a little? God says you got enough. That's all that matters. Right? So it's not the size of your faith that matters. It is the size of what you put your faith in. And if you're putting your faith in your own faith, you're in deep trouble. And so am I. Because our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And there's a huge difference between those two. And so a little faith in a big God gets big results. And if we think that that disqualifies us from receiving anything from God, God knows that faith starts small and it grows. And He wants to build your faith. Okay, so so don't doubt your faith because it's got nothing to do with your faith. It has to do with what is your faith in. Now I'm just going to close with just some... Because I don't want to leave you hanging because it's no fun to just say, well, these are all the reasons why you don't have the gift of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit as, as a part of your life without telling you how do I then take that step of turning your will. And perhaps you've made this step before, but it didn't seem to stick. Maybe you're like the Japanese Maybe you're like the Japanese kamikaze pilot who flew 33 missions. Do you know what a kamikaze pilot is? It's a suicide pilot, right? He didn't do very well if he flew 33 missions, right? See, he was involved, but he really wasn't committed. It's kind of like, I'm sure maybe Pastor Greg has shared this, you know, it's kind of like uh, the, the chicken and the the chicken and the pig when it comes to the issue of commitment. The commit the, the the chicken lays the egg, right? That's all. That's his sacrifice. The pig gives his life. So when you look next time you look at a plate of bacon and eggs, realize that the chicken just made a sacrifice, but the pig gave his life. Right, And there's a huge difference between the two. And so we need to be committed to what God wants us to do. And so I leave you with these, these four things that you need to consider doing. And the first one is, and I'm sure most of us would say, boy, this is common sense stuff. Well, that's how easy Jesus makes it. The first one is I accept God's Son as my Savior. See, that's the bottom line. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, They reply, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so what this means is committing as much of yourself. Okay, Hear me when I say this. It's committing as much of yourself as you understand to as much of Christ as you understand at this moment and ask Him to change your life. So if you know this much about Jesus, then give 100% of this much of yourself to that. If you know Jesus this much, 
than give that much. He's not asking for anything more than that. He's just asking you to give 100% of yourself as you understand to as much of Christ as you understand. Secondly is to accept God's word as your standard. See, God gives us an instructional manual and it's called the Bible. And every day we need to look at his word and we need to say, God, this is your word. This is the basis for which I live my life. Everything that I do is based on this. Everything that I know and understand about you comes from this. Everything I need to know about who I am comes from this word. And I will live my life according to this book because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And thirdly, it's to accept God's will as your strategy. See, you need to say, I accept it as my daily plan. Each day when I wake up, I say, God, I am awake. What is your plan for me today? I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And so the thing on your heart more than anything is saying, how do I fulfill your plan for me today? How you have a purpose for me. Help me to fulfill that. And lastly, is to accept God's power as your strength. Because the Bible says, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. You see, we don't have to rely on our own energy. And that's what I said from the very beginning, is forget about it. Stop relying on your own willpower. Because you see, it is impossible to live the Christian life on your own power. And God says, you have to have my power flowing through you in order to live the way that I want you to live. And so, in closing, Jesus is giving you an invitation this morning. And the invitation is found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You see, Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting all of us to open the door. He's not going to come in. He's not going to just barge right in. He's only going to come where he is welcome. And you have the ability this morning to invite Jesus in. Because you see, willpower is the willingness to accept Jesus' power. That's what willpower is. You know, I learned a long time ago from a pilot friend of mine that there are two types of pilots. And, uh, and they fly by two different means. There are those pilots who fly by what's called IFR, which is instrument flight rules, and those who fly by what is called visual flight rules, or VFR. And all professional pilots fly IFR. They fly instrument flight rules. And what that means is that the pilot acknowledges that he will fly the plane using his instruments. 
Amateurs, however, often fly by VFR. And so what they do is they drive out to the runway, look to the left, look to the right, jump in the plane, look to the left, look to the right, and take off. Most accidents occur during VFR. And so there are probably three types of people who are here today. Some of you have already made the decision to commit your life to Christ and submit to the care and control of God. And for that, we're thankful. But some of you are saved and you're on way to heaven, but you're still controlling your own life. And possibly this morning there may be some of you who who may not have accepted Christ at all as your Savior and are not living your life for Him. And so I challenge all who are here to make a decision to turn your will and your lives over to the care and the control of Jesus Christ. And so let us pray. Lord Jesus, I need You. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sin. And so I give up the control of my life to You. And I trust You to care for me and to make me the person You want me to be. And Father, for those who have already made that decision but need to reconnect, to recommit, may they pray that they thank You for Your love and to thank You for Your care, to confess that they have been in control of their lives and the desire to give that control back to You, to take charge of their lives and to help them to focus on You and You alone and you to make the necessary changes in Jesus' name. Amen.